Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. at the media on this show, and we do it for two reasons. It's fun, and they deserve it. Recently, we've watched with growing amusement as our media gatekeepers thrash around in a frenzy of foaming hysteria over the possibility that someone somewhere might dare to present facts or form opinions without their express written permission. Freelance thinking is what they hate most. It's a threat to their monopoly. They can't say that out loud, so instead they call it disinformation. Disinformation is the real threat, says the guy who thinks his union has the contract on bringing you the news. It's ridiculous. But before you judge these people, take a moment and feel some compassion. Consider how they might be feeling right about now. Imagine if you had spent 30 years making a good living as a car mechanic, and all of a sudden GM invents an engine that anyone can fix at home with a screwdriver. You'd be upset. That's how CNN feels about the Internet. It's exposing their scam. Naturally, they're a little irrational about it. Millions of Americans clinging to conspiracy theories. This is all evidence of radicalization. And that's not easy to say. It's not an easy word to use. But it's way past time to talk about this honestly. No one should tiptoe past this predicament. Disinformation networks like QAnon are causing people to lose touch with reality disinformation networks that doesn't sound like a misleading social media post it sounds like a terror cell and it sounds that way on purpose the thing about disinformation they're telling us is that it's not simply harmful to you personally it's not like eating a pint of ben and jerry's or sneaking a smoke while the kids are at school no disinformation isn't a sin it's a crime Disinformation hurts everyone. It's an offense against this country. Disinformation is an attack on America, and not just on America, but more critically, on something called our norms. Our norms are so out of whack that it has become surprising when good things happen. Even after four years of us talking, you know, night after night about the norms that are being shattered. He is doing everything to shred every one of these norms. We can't allow these kind of democratic norms to be shattered. So we have abided by these norms, but this president is just railroad in this administration, just blown right through those norms. Not since the Red Scare uh, have once good men and women been dragged into this kind of sabotage of our democracy and social norms. Our norms shattered, shredded, crushed, destroyed, blown through. Why is it always our norms that are the first to be attacked? Maybe because our norms are democracy's first responders. They run to the sound of gunfire. Norms are like the young lieutenants in Vietnam walking point through the rice paddies, exposing themselves to fire in order to save the platoon. It's a dangerous job being a norm, and never more so than now. You thought underwater welding was a treacherous gig? 
You feared for the guys who fix antennas on skyscrapers? That's nothing. Imagine being a norm in today's America. They don't last long. Okay, we'll stop. It's all pretty amusing and it's hard to resist. Our norms, our norms! On the other hand, if we're being completely honest here, and we strive to be completely honest, we have to admit there is a kernel of truth in what they're yelling about. There is disinformation out there, and it does hurt people. It makes people stupid, for one thing, but it also impairs their ability to make wise decisions. You can't know what to do next if you don't know what's really going on. A lot of people in this country are in that position right now. We saw evidence of it just this week. We read a research paper called How Informed Are Americans About Race and Policing? It was published by the Skeptic Research Center. Check it out online if you have a minute. It's a pretty amazing document. The researchers asked people to estimate the number of unarmed African Americans who were killed by the police in 2019. Here are the results. 44% of Americans who describe themselves as liberal believe the total number of killed was, quote, a thousand or more. More than a thousand unarmed African Americans gunned down by cops. Is that true? Well, as it happened, we have definitive statistics on this. They're publicly available. You can find them in about a minute. The actual number of unarmed African-Americans killed by the police in 2019 was 27. So more than 1,000 versus the reality of 27. Quite a spread. And it was not an anomaly. The rest of the study found similar results. Self-described liberals, for example, believe that a strong majority of people killed by police in 2019 were African-Americans. The actual percentage was less than half that, closer to 25%. These are not small mistakes. A lot of Americans are completely and utterly misinformed, and that has actual consequences. Public policy can change dramatically in the basis of things people think they know but don't actually know, and we have seen that a lot. Entire police departments got defunded. So it's worth finding out where the public is getting all this false information, this disinformation, as we'll call it. So we checked. We spent all day trying to locate the famous QAnon, which in the end we learned is not even a website. If it's out there, we could not find it. Then we checked Marjorie Taylor Greene's Twitter feed because we have heard she traffics in disinformation, seen and told us, but nothing there. Next, we called our many friends in the tight-knit intel community. Could Vladimir Putin be putting this stuff out there? The Proud Boys, Alex Jones? Who is lying to America in ways that are certain to make us hate each other and certain to destroy our core institutions? Well, none of the above, actually. It wasn't Marjorie Taylor Greene. It was cable news. It was politicians talking on TV. They're the ones spreading disinformation to Americans. Maybe they're from QAnon. You be the judge. We have a long and wretched and disturbing history in this country of black people being murdered by law enforcement. Training for police officers on implicit racial bias and procedural justice because to deny it exists is to deny folks liberty and in many cases life. How do we continue to lose the lives of unarmed black men in the United States of America at the hands of white police officers? I never had to tell my daughter if she's pulled over, make sure she puts for a traffic stop, put both hands on top of the wheel and don't reach for the glove box because someone may shoot you. So not only are huge numbers of unarmed African-Americans murdered every year because of their race, to deny that or question that fact is to effectively participate in those killings yourself. Denying this is denying them life, as Kamala Harris put it, or as CNN said, it's mass murder. No, I'm not telling people to go out there and riot. But tell me 
what the proportional response to mass murder over the years is. What is the proportional response to that? Well, I'm not telling people to go out and riot, but what is the proportional response to mass murder? Good question, CNN. Burning Wendy's, obviously. But where you ask, and this is the missing piece of the puzzle, are all the victims of this indiscriminate racial violence. Well, in January, MSNBC was pretty sure they had found one. The channel claimed cops had tried to execute an unarmed African-American man called Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. And they repeated that claim that Jacob Blake was unarmed again and again and again. No charges will be brought against the police officer or any of the police officers involved in the shooting of Jacob Blake. He was an unarmed black man who was shot. Uh, viewers may recall an officer shot Blake in the back seven times while he was unarmed. Another example of African-Americans not receiving equal protection of law. Mr. Blake was unarmed at the time that he was shot. So it's sad that Jacob Blake got shot. Sincerely, it's always sad when people get shot, whether you agree with them or not, period. But why Jacob Blake was shot is kind of the whole point of the story, isn't it? Mr. Blake was unarmed at the time he was shot. That's what they told us again and again. And yet someone in MSNBC's news division forgot to check with Jacob Blake about that because a week later, Jacob Blake himself admitted on camera that he was in fact armed. I'm rattled. You know, I realized I had dropped my knife, a little pocket knife. So I picked it up after I got off of him because they tased me and I fell on top of him. I shouldn't have picked it up only considering what was going on. At that time, I wasn't thinking clearly. Oh, just to be totally clear, we feel sorry for Jacob Blake. He got hurt. It'll change his life forever. But it's not quite the neat little morality tale we thought it was, is it? And again, we're not telling you that. We're not correcting the lie because we're smug and self-satisfied and enjoy highlighting the other people's errors. We're just defending our norms here as any American would. Are we heroes for doing that? We can't say so. It just feels like the right thing to do. But it is a never-ending task. We can give you many examples. Here's one from the weekend. Hundreds of activists gathered in New York to stage a march against white nationalism. They said they were seeking justice for an 84-year-old man from Thailand who had been slashed with a box cutter on the subway. A lot of violence on the New York subway right now. Here's one example. Protesters stormed through Washington Square Park, chanting slogans like, Whose streets? Our streets. One held a sign that read, White nationalism is the virus. Well, maybe it is the virus, but it's hard to know exactly who's been infected with it. Police have now arrested a 19-year-old man called Antoine Watson for the crime. Let's just say it's hard to imagine that Antoine Watson is a white supremacist. So why are they suggesting otherwise? What is all of this about? Well, here's an interesting theory, and it comes to us from a researcher called Zach Goldberg, who does not work at CNN, by the way. Goldberg looked at every time the term racism was used in America's largest newspapers, and he noticed a trend. In fact, there was a noticeable spike just after 2011 which, not coincidentally, was right around the time of the Occupy Wall Street movement when people were starting to talk about what Wall Street actually does in public. Suddenly, all at once, journalists agreed that the real problem in America is it's racism. America is not a place with a screwed-up economic system that rewards a tiny number of emotionally damaged grifters who possess otherwise useless skills applicable only to finance and pie gow place where everyone else gets poorer, people with real jobs are making less, people in finance are making more, but that's not a problem. No, no, stop talking about it immediately and that's an order. No, 
America is instead, we learned, a place where the rest of us must hate each other at all times because of our skin colors, which, by the way, cannot be changed. And that way, once we're all yelling and aggrieved and angry about irresolvable race questions, once we've picked the wound until it won't stop bleeding, we won't have the time to ask even the most basic questions about economics. Questions like, why are all these billionaire hedge fund guys paying half the tax rate I am? And who precisely is getting rich from the Federal Reserve? Where's all that money going? It'd be nice to know, but you don't see a ton of stories about those questions in the New York Times. They're too busy talking about race. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 24th of February, year of our Lord, 2021. What a great intro, intro by Mr. Carlson. It's almost unbelievable sometimes when he says stuff, and he says it way better than I do, when I realize, wow, who is the disinformation? It's almost like that scene in the new kid. He is the black guy next to the other black guy in the background going, who's the bitch now? Remember? I think it was Kid, there were two rappers. I don't remember their names. Got a good show today. We're going to have a long soundbite by Naomi Wolf. This is America that will knock your socks off. And we're starting a new segment. Fop News. Because... Technically, I'm covering all these things from different angles, and you're being fed by the propaganda machine that is our media. It's news. So why don't I have a swirling freaking planet Earth and some fancy logos? <laughs> I do now. But I wanted to start out to that with Naomi Wolf. And I want everybody to understand, we covered this the moment she tweeted, Hey, I never would have voted for Biden if I knew he was going to do with his lockdowns. And this is a Clinton-Obama liberal. But we have gone so far extreme that this lady does a rant, and it's really hard to tell that she's not a conservative. Apparently is not afraid to speak up to Naomi Wolf, who is undoubtedly losing friends by appearing on the show tonight. She's the author of The End of America, Letter of Warning to a Young Patriot, and the CEO of Daily Clout. She joins us tonight. Naomi Wolf, I appreciate your coming on. I never thought I would be talking to you except in a debate format. I'm sure we disagree on an awful lot. But on this, I was struck by the bravery it must have taken you to write it. I'm sure you lost friends over it and for doing this. Tell us why you're, you're doing this and why you wrote that. Well, it's not just thank, first of all, thank you, Tucker. I'm really happy to be talking to you. Um, it's not just that one tweet. I've been writing pretty much every day for months and months about what I see as the terrible crisis that we're in, um, that we have to recognize uh, under the guise of a medical, a real medical pandemic. Um, we're really moving into a coup situation, a police state situation, and that's not a partisan thing. That, you know, as you say, that transcends everything you and I might agree or disagree on right. that should bring together left and right to protect our Constitution. We're absolutely moving into what I call Step 10. Um, I wrote a book in which I pointed out there were 10 steps that would-be tyrants always take when they want to close down a democracy. Whether they're on the left or the right, they always do the same 10 things, and now we're at something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. You described it really, really well. It is step 10, and that's the, the suspension of the rule of law. Um, that's when you start to be a police state, and we're here. There's no way around it. I'm, I'm so embarrassed. It's, just, it's another example, there are a million of them, 
of why partisanship is stupid and it makes you stupid. And I guess I just assumed that we wouldn't agree on stuff, so I didn't read your tweets, and I obviously should have been, and I missed a lot. And, and so, again, it's nice to remember okay. you should treat people as individuals rather than as stand-ins for whole political parties. For a long time, you just said, why don't you think others aren't seeing this? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people are seeing it, but we're not unified and as you pointed out we're a very divided country for a lot of cynical yes. reasons um i'm in touch with many patriots from all backgrounds and all walks of life who are horrified um i interviewed for instance moms for liberty a group of conservative moms in florida who are mobilizing to try to get schools open they're so worried about what's happening to their kids and i talked to mom jen say a famous gymnast and activist in san francisco on the left who's also a mom who's horrified um i you know i've, I've interviewed doctors i've interviewed you know ordinary people restaurant owners from all walks of life who are absolutely uh, un, unable to even articulate their fear and horror recognizing that the state has now crushed businesses kept us from gathering in, in free assembly to worship as the first amendment provides is invading our bodies as you mentioned which is a violation of the fourth amendment is uh restricting movement um finding us here in new york state i could be fined fifteen thousand dollars a day if i gather people you know more than 10 or 25 people depending on where in new york state i live um you know it, which is a complete violation of the first amendment i mean the violations go on and on and on i've talked to restaurant owners who are looking at a sector in which tens of thousands of small businesses have been crushed and why were they crushed not because of pandemic forced them to there is no real science underlying a lot of these closures it's because autocratic tyrants at the state and now the, the national level are are creating a kind of merger of corporate power and government power which is really characteristic of italian fascism in the 20s um, and they're they're using that to engage in kind of emergency orders that that simply strip us of our rights rights to property rights to assembly rights to worship and all of the rights that our constitution guarantees so people are definitely horrified and noticing i think people are shocked and um and and divided as i mentioned before and the other thing that happened is you said this has all been very sudden um and when you look back you know march of 2020 a lot of things started to move that kind of locked into place a set of policies that are kind of 360 degree full-on right. totalitarian policies so i think a lot of us are kind of in culture shock uh luckily or unluckily i've been studying closing democracies for 12 years so i recognized early on you know once once i realized new york state had emergency powers i know from history that no one gives up emergency powers willingly right. uh, they always drag it on and drag it on and so every month i'm getting in my email an announcement that governor cuomo is extending emergency measures extending emergency measures uh, only from studying history do I know how predictable it is when you start to have um, elected officials say we are not going to follow the Constitution because it, there's a pandemic. And I just want to say lastly, and then I promise I'll stop, um, nowhere in the Constitution does it say all this can be suspended if there's a bad disease. We have lived through typhus, cholera, smallpox, HIV, tuberculosis, polio, the Spanish flu. You know, we've lived through an attack on our soil. Never 
have there been months and months and months of emergency powers when we weren't actually fighting a war? So right. um, this is completely unprecedented. Lockdowns have never been done before in free societies. And really, we're turning into a version of a, a totalitarian state sort of before everyone's eyes. And I, I really hope you know, we wake up quickly because history also shows that it's a, a small window in which people can fight back. That's a liberal. That's how far we've gone. It, this stuff is out of control. And I understand there's still people that may listen that are never Trumpers or liberals. And you just go, what the fucking fuck? What the fuck? But Trump, nobody's ever done this. Haiti Kurzog. Well, this is psycho. Trumpvoterlist.org. I won't go to it because it's a, not a secure site. Help us to fight domestic terrorists. Welcome to the Trumpvoterlist.org. We created this organization to ensure that those responsible for the election of Donald Trump can never threaten our democracy. We've added filters to stop the names of prominent Democrat officials, any contributors from being added, including a massive word list of misspellings and closely related names. We've also implemented a filter for vulgar, offensive, or insensitive words to keep those from being added to our database. Your name, your email, who would you like to see the list released to, public officials, law enforcement, the public, your relationship to the Trump voter, friend, family, acquaintance, note, name of Trump voter. This is insane. The founders are rolling over in their grave. Uh, what a diverse group of patriots and people of color looking to make positive difference in America by scarlet lettering everybody. But you say, but Tony, that's just some crazy motherfuckers. Hey, like the logo? That's pretty professional, man. Look at that. It flickers and shit. I, I capwing, I've been using too much shit graphicking, and they, they fucked me with their watermark. The facts about HR1 for the people. HR1 would federalize or micromanage the election process administered by states imposing unnecessary, unwise, and unconstitutional mandates on the states and reversing the decentralization of American election process, which is essential to the protection of our liberty and freedom. It would, among other things, implement nationwide worst change in election rules that occurred during the 2020 election, go even further in eroding and eliminating basic security protocols that states have in place and interface with the ability of states and their citizens to determine the qualifications and eligibility of voters, ensure the accuracy of voter registration rolls, secure the fairness and integrity of elections. H.R. 1 would federalize and micromanage the election process. 2. Reverse decentralization of American election. 3. It would implement nationwide worst change elections. This is a long article I'm not going to do it all, but it t basically takes over everything. Hurt voter turnout through 15 days of mandate early voting. Degradate the accuracy of registration list. Con constitute a recipe for massive voter registration fraud by hackers because they want to do it online. You know they've been wanting to go online. They've always wanted to go, I just vote for my phone. Yeah, that's going to be legal. Count ballots cast by voters outside the precincts. Mandate no-fault absentee ballot. Prevent election officials from checking eligibility and qualifications. Ban voter ID laws. Violate the First Amendment. Respect a vast range of legal activity. 
expand regulations of government censorship, reduce the number of federal election commission members, prohibited state election officials from participating in federal elections, require states to restore the ability to felons to vote, transfer the right to draw congressional districts to Democrats, authorize the Internal Revenue Service to engage in partisan activity. Um, You can't even challenge this once they vote it into law. And they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And forever, we'll get presidents like this. The only way to spare more pain and more loss, the only way these millstones no longer mark our national mourning, these milestones, I should say, no, no longer mo- mark our national mourning. I'm eager to hear, eager to hear next. This morning, First Lady Jill Biden is speaking to a virtual conference for student veterans. Uh, it's the latest in a long series of public events Biden has participated in since taking her husband took office one month ago. Uh, from coordinating a Valentine's Day message on the White House lawn uh, to meeting National Guard troops after the January 6th riot, uh, the first The new first lady uh, is redefining the role of the White House's East Wing. CNN's Kate Bennett is in Washington for us. So, uh, Kate, good to see you. I remember seeing those hearts throughout the lawn uh, all week long. Uh, It it really brought a smile to so many people's faces, particularly because of Valentine's Day. So let's talk about and now what we've seen in the new first lady. Um, But we haven't necessarily heard her lay out a a specific platform, except that she did say she was going to return to, you know, veteran family related affairs, right? Right. So the interesting thing about Jill Biden and what's different about her is that she really is passionate about several different components uh, of her, you know, her interests. There's their veterans, there's joining forces, which is about military families, there's uh, cancer research and care, there's education, free community college. And I think what we've seen in the past month is that this is not a first lady who's sort of getting in and and feeling her way around before she decides what to do quite the opposite this is a first lady who is hitting the ground running uh she's got you know decades of experience as a as a political spouse um and and has said publicly i don't intend to waste one minute of this role or this platform Uh, so although she hasn't necessarily assigned one particular thing Mm -hmm. and quite frankly but i think it's sort of an antiquated component to being a first lady to have one first lady platform and it's the thing you smack yeah. on a tote bag girl i think it's you know women especially jill biden has have demonstrated they're capable of doing a multitude and the joe mansion file uh in today's you know the, the, so go the days of our joe mansion here today now he is proposing an alternative to an increase in the minimum wage suggesting that he's not in favor of a 15 dollars minimum wage as part of the 1.9 trillion dollar relief package but he would support $11 or, or maybe a smidge more. And Errol, I mean, Joe Biden um, had signaled that he wasn't it wasn't his way or the highway when it came to $15 an hour minimum wage. I mean, this might just be the happy medium that people have been looking for. It, it would be a shame if that were the case. I mean, folks, your, view, your viewers should keep in mind, um, uh, Allison, that when they say $15 minimum wage, they're not talking about enacting that this year or even next year or even the year after. It's supposed to ramp up over a period of years, and it's not going to be indexed to inflation, which, by the way, are major mistakes in this. This is why this question comes up over and over again. Um, they're, they're talking about phasing it in by, I think, 2025 or something. I've held an AR-15 in my hand. I wish I had it. It is as heavy as 10 boxes that you might be moving. 
uh, and the bullet that is utilized, a 50 caliber, these kinds of bullets, uh, need to be licensed and do not need to be on the streets. That's the kind of bullshit we're going to get. In that little montage I played, that idiot, I, he's got dementia. I don't give a fuck what you say. He doesn't even know the fuck he's signing. They're going after Manchin because some people actually know economics and know that actually doing, implementing the $15 an hour is going to cost us most, more jobs because everybody's going to automate everything. And then you roll into scrunchies and you roll into our gun stuff. This gun stuff, that lady right there couldn't fucking formulate a coherent gun statement with the thesaurus, a dictionary, and the NRA standing next by, right right by her. It doesn't shoot 50 cal bullets. It doesn't weigh 10 boxes. I'd pick my AR up, but I don't want anybody to know I have an AR because they're trying to take my fucking AR. It's pretty light. My wife heard that. She starts screaming at the fucking TV. Biden gun control plan would criminalize up to 105 million people. Criminalize. And with their new voter scheme they want to do, this is an AP reporter. Unloads on Biden officials. All of this work was done in the previous administration, and they're taking credit for it. Because that's what they always do. He's got five people, Christian Clark, Nira Tandon, uh, Xavier Bixera, Wendy Sherman, Anita Dunn. Those people never should be near the fucking levers of power. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. But our media is still butthurt about tanning because it's not going well. President Biden's pick for White House budget director is in jeopardy. And sources tell CBS News congressional Democrats are getting ready, getting other names ready. Nicole Killian is on Capitol Hill with more on the story. Nicole, what are you hearing? Good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Gail. Nira Tandon's nomination could be in serious jeopardy for White House budget director after Democrat Joe Manchin and a handful of moderate Republicans came out against her. If she withdraws, there are a number of names that are being considered, including former economic advisor Gene Sperling, as well as longtime congressional staffer Shalonda Young. She was nominated last month to be deputy OMB director and would be the first black woman to head the office if she is selected and confirmed now. Nira Tandon probably won't have the votes to get appointed because of her past tweets, both attacking Republicans and Democrats. And so some in the GOP say she's divisive and doesn't have the temperament for the gig. <laughs> what do you think of this, Joy? It's rich, isn't it, to hear Republicans who are still attached at the hip to Donald Trump, who called women slobs, dogs, horse faces, fat pigs, that they are upset by, ne by Nira's nasty tweets, not to mention grabbing women by their private parts. You know, I think that they don't want to remember what happened in the past four years. And this is just going to be a reminder that about how despicably they all have behaved in this regard. Um, I, let me just point 
point out that it's not just Republicans. We also have Joe Manchin, who, by the way, I'm not sure if he's a, a Democrat or Republican half the time, but he voted to confirm Richard Grinnell, who mocked Hillary and M Michelle Obama and Callista, Fly um, Callista Gr uh, Gingrich's looks. And he voted to confirm him. He voted to confirm Jeff Sessions, who had a history of racism. Sonny, you think there's double standard here? Well, there's a clear double standard when you have people, like Joy pointed out, that would confirm a Jeff Sessions or a Grinnell and not confirm a Neera Tannen. Yeah, it's not going good. Manchin don't want her. A lot of people don't want her. But since we're now doing news, let's, let's do the, the Capitol for a second. CNN, the Capitol rioters speak like Islamic terrorists. Capital witnesses struggle to explain how rioters breached the Capitol. They're even going over, you know, going off on Honore, who basically, you know, let's be honest, is a racist. The guy's always been a racist. That's just what he is. We have PolitiFact note that conservative activists have seized on the mystery surrounding Brian Sisnick, Constance Graham. Felony murder. A picture's worth a thousand words. Joss Hawkins' sedition supports white nationalism. We'll lose it. PolitiFact. The cause of the Capitol officer, Brian Sisnick's death, remains under investigation. Here's what we know. That he wasn't hit. Glenn Greenwald. PolitiFact finally acknowledges the truth. Nobody has an idea how Sisnick died. His mother said he was never hit and re believes he died of a stroke. His brother thinks he may have been pepper sprayed. Nobody knows. Have any of the cable hosts repeatedly dramatized a false story about Sisnick's died? Death is what he meant to say. Causing that story to ricochet across social media. A million of people retracted what they said, including Maddow, Anderson Cooper. Good article in The Independent on the media recklessness over Brian Sisnick's death and why it was so harmful. Dangerous disinformation spread on cable news. That's why I started with the disinformation soundbite. They're saying disinformation while they are the biggest purveyors of disinformation. Hands up, don't shoot. Shut your fucking cock trap. They still say it in the protests. It was a total lie. You had Scooby-Doo snack, motherfucker. Stoned as shit, the first witness. I saw everything. That motherfucker had his hands up. No, he didn't. But we never retracted it. Overseas, U.S. media reports of the invasion of the Capitol have contributed to the spread of hatred and fear. Jack Probosek, are we just not going to talk about the fact Capitol Chief's son said he had intel that Anifa was in the attack? That he didn't get the memo? That this whole thing was a clusterfuck set up by the Democrats? They knew this shit was happening. It was either somebody else noticed. Do you notice that they set up the fucking bleachers then took it down on January 6th? Why? Why did they take it down before January 6th? It's because they knew. And they wanted it to happen. Does it make the actions of the people okay? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they knew. And then you get a real, detailed, in-depth investigation. This is on American Greatness, Julie Kelly. 
no proof January 6th was an armed insurrection. Not one person has been charged with possessing or using a gun inside the Capitol. Further, no one has even been identified as carrying a gun inside the building. I can read you the whole article. I'll let you just go to American Greatness, and it's there. There's no proof. Zero. They were never armed. Nobody who died, died by violence. Other than the lady who was shot in the face, which we still don't know why, and the lady who was trampled to death. Everybody else died of natural causes, including cystic. Is it sad he's gone? Yeah. I'm making less of the violence? No. What I'm saying is this is just a fucking cover story. They roll the cover story so they can get more fear and keep their base intact. The Congress is the most diverse ever, but Hill staffers remain overwhelmingly white. Politico. And while they're doing it, they're, they're throwing in 52 executive orders, the five firebrands that should never be near anything, and they're putting motherfucking kids in cages. Under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages, and Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, and so the, these are facilities. Let me, be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe, are you? I'm suggesting that Kamala Harris said that this facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government. And Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now it's not under Trump; it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is this is kids. This is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication. Certainly not. That's that is never our intention of replicating the immigration policies of the past administration, but we are in a circumstance where we are not going to expel unaccompanied minors at the border. That would be inhumane. That is not what we are going to do here as an administration. We need to find places that are safe under COVID protocols for kids to be, where they can have access to education, health and mental services, consistent with their best interests. Our goal is for them to then uh, be transferred to families or sponsors. So this is our effort to ensure that kids are treated or not in close proximity, and that we are abiding by the health and safety standards that uh, the government has been set out. Now, under Obama, we didn't even cover it. Under Trump, it was kids in cages. Now, while Biden puts them in overflow and all the... No, this is, uh, of course, the Washington Post. No, Biden's new border move isn't like Trump's kids in cages. How dare you? It's not a cage. They're merely held in shipping containers. You saw it there, Pazaki squirming. What's the difference? Mobile Mini are now kids in containers. But they're still not with their parents. You have ripped them from their mother's bosom. The fake photo on the side of the road. Do we remember all this? I mean, fucking I do. 
Time Magazine cover. Fake photo. Just a kid crying. First migrant families for children open under Biden. Opinion. Actually, Trump and his party don't care about the kids in cages. WAPO. Same time. That's what we do. Under Joe Biden, number of unaccompanied migrant kids in HSS Border Patrol custody has gone up, but at least they're not in cages. New for me, the Biden team is struggling to deal with the rise in unaccompanied migrant children in their custody. As of Friday, HHS shelters were at 93% capacity. More than 700 children had backed up in Border Patrol custody. WAPO. During Trump, kids in cages. During Biden, migrant facility for children. It's, it makes sense. It all makes sense. I mean, it, same team. He said he was going to do it's. We're not, we're going to do what we do as Americans. And that is not our way. Putting unaccompanied kids away from their mother's bosom because their mother's still in Ecuador. Send them home. We ain't going to do that either. Do you see why this whole disinformation shit just cover? For they just want everybody who doesn't speak them to be shut the fuck up. YouTube, Google. I, mean, I had a family thing just happen and everybody was like, I was a fucking kook because I never read the email. They're still sending it to my Gmail. I won't use it. I'm done. You can call me conspiracy theory. I am not reading the New York Times. I'm not reading the WAPO. I'm doing exactly what you're telling me. Don't read disinformation. And it's all dem disinformation. I could sit here for three hours during the Trump with all the lies. I could go over every fucking shooting how it's a lie. I mean, that intro literally is no different than the gay shit. When they polled Americans, 25% of the country thought, or 20 people thought 25% of the country was gay. It's 5.4%. One percentage is transgender. You'd never know that. The whole Floyd case, disinformation. Blake, disinformation. Ferguson, disinformation. They never retract it. They never pull it back. Russia, disinformation. Capital attack, disinformation. Every fucking BLM protest, disinformation. Texas, disinformation. So, we were told during all this that uh, that's cultural fucking appropriation right there, by the way. That's the little protesters out of Ted Cruz's house. Once again, Ted Cruz, stupid, shouldn't have done it, optics horrible, it's no different than Pelosi's optics, but the difference is that he didn't make the policy that he was breaking. Pelosi did. Everybody in the Dems, Lightfoot, there's a litany of them. But we spent three days, he's a hypocrite, which doesn't make any sense because he can't be a hypocrite because he didn't break any policy that he actually enforced. He just left during coldness to a hot climate, which looks really bad. But we're told 
It's bad politicking. If we just did the damn policies, everything would be good. Even the Weather Channel is spending every fucking day talking about how they're on their own little link and that everybody else has power to draw from other power grids and because they did this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Washington Post, Joe Biden has one praise for low-key approach to Texas disaster. He didn't say anything about Texas till yesterday because you know why? Everybody in the hurt zone, it's a red state. Go fuck yourself. Obama did the same thing. We were hip deep in ice for fucking week. He didn't give a fuck. He didn't go to the fucking disaster zone. Fuck those motherfucking red states. Tell them to go suck a dick. Sick, damning thread exposes the absolute disaster Biden admin was in handling Texas Storm. This broke at the end of my last show. I had it. Let's do some news. Texas power crisis thread. Once it was clear that the polar vortex would engulf the entire state of Texas, Governor Abbott declared emergency and asked President Biden for the EPA waiver to allow power generation facilities to operate at full capacity until the emergency passed. Biden EPA refused his request and instead offered to allow certain power generation facilities a waiver if they raised the prices they charged to Texans to more than $1,500 a milliwatt, resulting in massive statewide power outages and a failure of the grid. The truth is that the federal government controls how Texas generates electricity, the mix of sources, and the capacity of each. The EPA requires that Texas FOSS's fuel power generators operate far below their maximum output. Governor Abbott knew that if the EPA would allow our natural gas and coal power plants to operate at peak efficiency, they could meet 110% of the demand the state faced last week. EPA refused. Sadly, Biden's acting EPA chief, David Huizinga, is not an expert at power generation, but instead an expert with nuclear waste management. When Governor Abbott received the EPA refusal, he knew Texas was in trouble, and there was nothing he could do about it. My question, why didn't Governor Abbott simply order all Texas power generation facilities to operate at peak efficiency and force Biden to send his army to Texas to stop us? Does anyone think Biden would have sent the army to shut down a national gas power generation facility? Yeah, they probably would. Shock. President Biden refused Greg Abbott's request to be, that he sign major disaster declarations for 177 Texas counties after refusing to allow Texas power plants to operate at 100% capacity during the polar vortex resulting in massive power outages. If President Trump had refused to provide disaster relief for 177 counties, the Texas Tribune would be in each county shaming the stories of average Texans struggling to stay warm, feed their families, and pay their bills since Biden refused to provide relief. Silence. Of course. Correction. I used EPA instead of DOE in this thread. Also, to be clear, the DOE refused 
Abbott's request to allow power plants to operate at full capacity without charging and bankrupting people. To put the DOE's action in context, their demand that generators sell their additional capacity at $1,500 milliwatt is like telling gas stations they could sell gas to consumers at $1,500 a gallon. It was a price so high it was basically saying, no, you can't increase capacity. While we lost much of our renewable supply, wind and solar, our national gas, natural gas, and coal are required to operate at 60% capacity to reduce emissions. They can operate at 100 if they get a waiver from the federal government, but Biden refused. This morning on Sunday political TV shows, Biden's surrogates claimed that the power outage and the lives lost rest solely on Greg Abbott. The media won't look at evidence that the DOE refused the governor's request to allow for additional power generation. The actual order approved the waiver of limits with the additional stipulations they provide, reporting for the time period of the excess out. I thought the $1,500 was to prevent the market collapsing, which it does. But AG also specified that the amount was requested by ERCOT. If you're a reporter working on this story, just talk to any power plant in Texas with three boilers. Most are only allowed to run two boilers at a time due to restrictions on pollution. They could run the third with a waiver from the DOE, which was denied. And that's why Ted Cruz... That's why, oh, they suck. AOC in Houston right now to help us with the winter storm. It's 65 degrees outside. That's a black person. But photo op. And DJ Calligraphy, Calligraphy, sorry, that's her handle. She broke this. She showed the, she showed the fucking pictures. She showed everything. It was right there. But disinformation, we're not going to cover that Biden basically fucked Texas on purpose because it's a red state so they can make political points like they did on every fucking thing ever, including the Capitol riots. Why would we do that? But yeah, Fox News, Newsmax, they need to go away. Daily Wire, cut that shit off. Everybody has to read the New York Times. That's the right thing. And then this motherfucker, goddamn cocksucker Garland. Where the fuck this guy come from? Talk a little bit more about the law enforcement challenges at the border, which I know a number of other members have brought up with you. Just a, a fundamental question. Do you believe that illegal entry at America's border should remain a crime? Well, I haven't thought about uh, that question. Uh, uh, I just haven't thought about that question. I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the president has uh, made clear that we are a country of uh, with the borders and with a concern about national security. Um, I don't know of a proposal to uh, decriminalize but still make it uh, unlawful to enter. I just don't know the answer to that question. I haven't thought about it. Um, it, will you continue to prosecute on unlawful border crossings? Well, uh, this is again a, a question of allocation of resources. Um, um, we will uh, uh, the department uh, will uh, uh, prevent unlawful um, uh, crossing. Um, I don't know. I you know I I have to admit I just don't know exactly what the conditions are and how this is uh, uh, done. I think if. Um, um, I don't know what the current program even is with respect uh, to this. Um, if there, um, so uh, I, I assume that the answer would be yes, but I don't. I don't know what the. Judge Garland, it, it goes without saying, but we ought to make it a record 
we abhor violence, whether it comes from the right or left, whatever its source. Uh, it has no place in responsible constitutional dialogue in America. Currently, though, we are faced with elements that weren't there 25 years ago in Oklahoma City. A proliferation of weapons. Secondly, social media and the Internet, which serves as a gathering place for many of these domestic terrorists. What are your thoughts about how we should deal with those elements from the law enforcement viewpoint? Well, Mr. Chairman, I certainly agree that we are facing a more dangerous period than we faced in Oklahoma City at the, than at that time. From what I have seen, and I have no inside information about how the department is uh, developing it, its work, it looks like an extremely aggressive and perfectly appropriate beginning to an investigation all across the country in the same way our original Oklahoma City investigation was, but many times uh, uh, um, more. I don't yet know what additional resources would be required by the department. I can assure you that this will be my first priority and my first briefing when I... 150 years after the department's founding, battling extremist attacks on our democratic institutions also remains central to the department's mission. From 1995 to 1997, I supervised the prosecution of the perpetrators of the bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building, who sought to spark a revolution that would topple the federal government. If confirmed, I will supervise the prosecution of white supremacists and others who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, a heinous attack that sought to disrupt a cornerstone of our democracy, the peaceful transfer of power to a newly elected government. And that critical work is but a part of the broad scope of the department's responsibilities. Urge of domestic terrorism, uh, is this something that you will look at as ter in terms of the degree of the resources of the agency? Yeah, as I say, that I think the first thing I should do um, uh, as part of the, uh, my briefings on the Capitol bombing are briefings with um, Director Ray as to where he sees the biggest threat and uh, whether the resources of the Bureau and of the Department are allocated towards uh, the biggest threat and the most uh, dangerous and direct threat. Um, we do have to be careful across the board. We, we can never, uh, you know, let, let uh, somebody sneak around uh, the end um, because we're not focusing, but we also have to allocate our resources towards the biggest threat. Great. And I'd like to shift back to marijuana. I, our earlier conversation we were talking about. Let me ask you about uh, assaults on federal property in places other than Washington, D.C., Portland, for instance, Seattle. Do you regard assaults on federal courthouses or other federal property as acts of domestic extremism, domestic terrorism? Well, Senator, my own definition, which is about the same as the statutory definition, is uh, a use of violence or threats of violence uh, in an attempt to uh, disrupt uh, democratic processes. So an attack on a, uh, a courthouse while in operation, uh, trying to prevent judges from actually deciding cases, that 
plainly is um, domestic uh, um, uh, extremism, um, 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 uh, domestic uh, terrorism, um, an attack simply on a government property at night or any other kind of circumstances is a clear crime and a serious one and should be punished. I don't mean, I don't know enough about the facts of the example you're talking about, but that's where I, I draw the line. One, one is both are uh, criminal, um, uh, but one is uh, a core attack on our democratic institutions. Criminal contempt of Congress. That was a bipartisan vote. 18 Democrats voted to hold Attorney General Holder in contempt. They did so because he refused to produce documents to Congress for Congress's investigation of the Fast and Furious scandal, a major scandal that resulted in the death of two federal law enforcement officers. You've previously committed to senators on this panel that under your leadership, the Department of Justice will comply to the extent possible with requests from this committee. And I want to, in the course of this question, associate myself with Senator Whitehouse's comments and questions. He and I disagree on a great many issues. But on this particular issue, we are emphatically in agreement that Senators from this committee should get answers, should get candid answers, should get substantive answers, should get real answers from the Department of Justice, regardless of the party of the senator asking that question, that that's, that is a level of oversight that the American people have a right to expect. Do you agree with that? I do think that uh, this is a level of oversight the American people have a right to expect. Uh, Are you familiar with the Steele dossier? Sonny, his exchange with Senator Tom Cotton struck you. Tell us about that. It really, it really did. I think we, ha we have a clip about uh, uh, Senator Cotton questioning Merrick Garland about racial uh, uh, equity versus equality. You're aware that President Biden has signed an executive order stating that his administration will affirmatively advance racial equity, not racial equality, but racial equity. Yes, and I, I read, uh, read the opening of that executive order, which defines equity as the fair and impartial treatment of uh, every person uh, without regard uh, to their status, um, and uh, um, including um, uh, the individuals um, uh, who, are in, who have uh, been in underserved communities uh, where uh, they were not accorded that uh, before. But I don't see any, any distinction. Everybody nominates as a shitbag. But, you know, we could talk about he doesn't want to save. We're going we're gonna to make fucking illegal aliens illegal. Fucking him talking about the, everything, the armed pro, all this bullshit about the Capitol. We know it's a lie, but he's still talking about it. And we need to take up these terror cells. And do you think CNN cover that? Mm. No, silly rabbit. Sometimes, this is Brian Seltzer, these contracts sound like parodies, but this one is real. CNN and MSNBC right now, live coverage of senators scrutinizing Biden's pick for attorney general. Fox, cancel culture comes from the Muppet Show. Dan McLaughlin, the Constitution does not require that Merrick Garland get a hearing on Fox News. Tom Elliott, if only Fox agreed to be CNN, then all our problems would go away. Isn't that the fucking truth? Did I miss something? Bernie Sanders Mittens. That's the person's handle. Just heard about the Capitol bombing. Can anyone tell me? And you heard it. I think the first thing I should do as part of my briefing on the Capitol bombings is briefing with Director Ray as to where he sees the biggest threat. Bombings? 
There were no bombings. Bombs were planted. They didn't go off. Nobody's told us where they came from, how the fuck they got there, because I'm pretty sure it didn't come from Mega. If the bombs came from Mega, New York Times would be jerking off to it, be like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, we got those motherfuckers. No, that shit ain't coming out. Then we had pointing. This is a real thing, because Merrick Garland, you know, this goes back to Obama, he's supposed to be on the Supreme Court. You motherfuckers! If there's any, anything that's ever consistent with the left, it's fucking pettiness and bitterness. Ah, shit. Uh, pettiness and bitterness. Um, they, they are going to go all day on the ex-girlfriend shit with you because you don't do something they want you to do. So, Michael Betchloss, that's a fucking NBC reporter. What U.S. Senator history pointed menacely at the witness. We go McCarthy, uh, Sanders, Bloomberg, Harris. During that very fucking ceremony, Mr. Motherfucking Durbin himself. And then the world brings out pointing menacely Biden. I had a friend, I could go on, everybody, Obama, the whole world. I had a friend, well, not a friend, but uh, during a time, and this is really, for those who listen to the podcast ages ago, I talked about it. I was in the unit that had the gay killing, supposedly. But the actual story was two guys were in love with a pre-op tranny, everybody was gay, and a straight guy talked one of the gay guys in the building that beating up the other gay guy because that guy was moving in on his dude chick thing. She did look like a girl, though, or he did, because it was still a guy. But it, it looked like a girl in the pictures. But long story short, the Army wasn't going to let that shit get out because you can't let that shit get out. And faggot in the Army was not homosexual. I was part of that. His platoon was a mechan- uh, mounted platoon, and we were the dismounts. And we were training for this operation, and my platoon got sliced over. We were going to take down breaches and take out anybody who was going to try to stop this convoy. So we were always with them on the sink. And they did call, uh, I think his name was Winchell, or I don't remember what his name was. They called him Fag. Yeah, Faggot. But they called everybody a Faggot, because that was not a term. It was a term of endearment in the Army, but... Of course, it got banned afterwards. Well, long story short, at the end of it, the general got blamed. Now, we don't blame mayors. We damn sure ain't going to blame Lori, Lori Lightfoot for the epic murders she has, or de Blasio for or any of these Democrat cities for the increase in murders that are just rampant in America. No, 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 no. We blame Trump or something. We'll, we'll find something to blame now that Trump's gone. And I wrote a letter. I was an E6. And I had just started paying attention because this is post-drill sergeant where I had watched Clinton get blowjobs and guys next to me who shouldn't be getting blowjobs, but they were, they lose their whole career, but he could argue the word is. And I thought it was pretty fucked up. And I wrote a letter and it wasn't political. It was just like, we don't hold mayors accountable for what happens in the city. The army is made up of people of America that come from the community, and just like the communities in America, the people murder people. We don't know why. We can't stop it. But it's just the way the world is. But to blame the mayor is stupid. Well, unbeknownst to me, 
He took the letter and liked it. And I left that unit and went to Korea. And then I get this package, and it's a letter from this general, Clark, saying thank you. It caught up with me in Korea. Fast forward, I'm in the Mojave Desert, and a unit comes out to train, and I'm teaching CQB in glass houses. For those who don't know what that is, is you take some kind of tape and you build walls with doorways and you make people go over and over and over the path of least resistance clearing. I don't know if they still do it anymore, but that's how you did it. You went across the doorway, the other person butt hooked. If you're on the left side, same thing on the right. You would go across the doorway if you're the number one guy, number two guy goes to the right, number three guy goes left, number four goes to the right. That's how we used to clear rooms. But you train them in this glass house because you can see everything, and you can see if somebody points at a motherfucker, and you can see if everybody gets in there and they get their sector, because you all have a sector. Doesn't matter if there's a guy over there shooting, if you go to the door, bop, bop, but you go back to your sector, because your sector's to the left, that's what you're supposed to fucking shoot, because there's probably another dickhead in there. I digress. And some star major walks up and goes, you're in the 101st? Yeah, I went to them with Af- to Afghanistan. Oh, and he jots my name down, but I don't pay attention to it, because I'm teaching a fucking class. By the end of the day, my full bird colonel walks up, who's in charge of this whole goat rope of the National Training Center, and goes, hey, you go back to the base right now, you spit and polish, and you be at this building tomorrow at 11. Okay. Why? Can I ask, sir? Yeah, you're meeting General Clark. But I don't even put two to two together as General Clark before Campbell. Fuck, there's a billion General Clarks. They're generals. I'm a senior NCO E7. I, I don't really deal with generals very well. So I show the fuck up, spit and polish, and it's this guy. To the point after we talk for 10 hours. This is what my kids say I do. Eh, I'm sorry. Long story short, he tells me the story of his confirmation. That fucking cock-sucking piece of shit, killing motherfucker on a bridge, Kennedy, would show up every one of his confirmations, spitting and pointing and calling him a homophobe and saying he was personally responsible for killing the fag that killed the fag that fucking was in love with the tranny. That went on for years. So he finally made his three-star way late. Next rotation, the brigade commander who gave me that award up there, the funny-looking crest... And maybe a d- distinguished member of the 5-0 Deuce Infantry Regiment. Same thing happened to him. They would come in, point and yell, scream and moan, and make sure they didn't get promoted. Because a gay guy killed a gay guy because they were in love of a tranny. And they knew it! But to make political points, what the fuck truth got to do with it? What has it got? It, it has nothing. It makes you really think, if if we know right now, Russia, Floyd, Blake, Ferguson, the Capitol, what the fucking fuck? Nothing is real. It's all disinformation. It's all political optics. It's all, I mean, we talked about Ted Cruz for fucking ever, but Nancy Pelosi got to blame the salon. Sure, Ted Cruz tried to blame his kids. It didn't work. You, you can't have a society like this. You can't have a society where 
you literally are saying, oh, that side points fingers. When you do, you're always pointing fingers. Biden AG pick Merrick Garland, DOJ open to helping craft legislation with Congress to combat online misinformation and incitement. So that's why Cotton, because he wants to do this, he grills them on racial bias and higher ed. Asian American parents, kids disappointed in your answers. And people are like, oh, the con, he's a fucking goddamn white supremacist, that motherfucker. Piece of fucking shit. It's because they want to censor every fucking buddy because why not? Why wouldn't we fucking censor everybody? When we're trying to put out a fucking narrative and your truth is getting in the fucking way of it. Just like fucking COVID. Let's unpack some of what you were saying about uh, the response here at home. It's been widely reported that you went into the Oval Office alongside National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien and told President Trump at the end of January that this would be the greatest national security threat that he ever faced. Did he understand the gravity of what you were saying at that time? I think he did. That was something that Robert O'Brien told the president. Um, uh, To the president's credit, he decided to shut down travel from China. Around that same time, though, the American public is being told that this is not a direct threat to them. I mean, Robert O'Brien was on Face the Nation saying exactly that. Right now, there's there's no reason for Americans to to panic. This is something that uh, is a low risk, we think, in the U.S. Is that what you thought at the time? Uh, I, I, I thought that it was going to be uh, potentially quite, quite devastating. You could match that against quotes from, uh, from uh, a great number of uh, public health experts in this country and abroad who were saying similar things because we did not have hard evidence from the Chinese government that this thing uh, was, was uh, as dangerous as it was. So- Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is facing a torrent of criticism for steering thousands of vaccine doses to communities developed by his political supporters. The action comes weeks after DeSantis tapped supermarket chain Publix to be the sole distributor of vaccines in a handful of Florida counties following a $100,000 donation the company made to DeSantis' re-election pack. Jim Axelrod has this story. In Manatee County, Florida this week, thousands of people got the call they'd been waiting for. Come to the affluent Lakewood Ranch development and get a COVID vaccine. We were very fortunate. We got the call. We came right down. It was more than good fortune. They all lived in two specific zip codes, and their doses came through a deal struck by Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis and the CEO of Lakewood Ranch's parent company, owned by major Republican donors. It just was inappropriate. Commissioner Misty Servia says the deal bypassed county protocol allowing a select group of residents to go to the front of the vaccine line. So rather than this randomized pool where everybody gets a fair shake, these two zip codes were going to receive preferential treatment. This was done strictly uh, by the governor. At a county meeting, Servia, also a Republican, voiced her concern. You have to understand, though, the optics are horrible. The zip codes are two of the wealthiest and whitest in the county. And in the bottom half of COVID rates, countywide. Well, it's just wrong. I mean, it's just, that's the bottom line. Patrick Carnegie runs MCR Health, the region's largest primary care provider. 
we want to make sure that the process is done fair and is done, you know, uh, equitably across the board. Governor DeSantis said he was trying to get the vaccine to a high concentration of seniors. But in a county full of seniors, he never explained why the doses were limited to just this group. He did threaten to take the shots elsewhere. I mean, if Manatee County doesn't like us doing this, then we are totally fine with putting this in counties that want it. Um, and we're totally happy to do that. As for Servia, it does pit people against each other. She's now facing criticism from her own party, saying she should be ashamed she took a page out of the Biden playbook in attacking Florida and Governor DeSantis. For CBS This Morning Saturday, I'm Jim Axelrod. And are you seeing consistent messaging on when we're going to return to normal post-COVID, if there is such a thing, especially when it, when it comes to schools? Well, not really. But, you know, to be fair, the Biden, Biden has said from the beginning that science was going to drive this. But there has been inconsistent messaging on schools. At first, he said he wanted the majority of all schools open for in-person learning uh, by the end of his first 100 days. So by April, uh, then it became, well, schools from K to 8. And uh, then there's the question of does teachers need to be vaccinated first. The official position from the CDC is that's not necessary. Fauci has said it's not necessary but it's interesting Biden and Harris have both had a hard time answering that question directly I, I want to turn to the question of of schools reopening obviously uh, uh, President Biden first had said he wanted to see the majority of, of schools reopened by the end of his first hundred days that would be April uh, now the, the goal is K through eight uh, five days a week uh, what is this realistic or are we gonna see the majority of schools in this country open by April the question is is the will there for some politicians in Washington who are bowing to the teachers unions right now, the first priority should be the kids. The science says they can be and need okay, to be but, but, in the but, classroom. There's devastating impact. But, but Congressman, uh, the, the, the White House is not mandating uh, the, the states do anything on this. They have, been, they have issued guidance from the CDC. Are, are you suggesting that the president should be effectively ordering local school districts to reopen? I mean, what, what, are, you, what are you saying? Because I mean, I assume you agree. I've heard you many times over the years say that education decisions are, are, are local. Uh, I mean, they, they, they aren't mandating one way or the other. The president is. There's outrage tonight over the steps some are taking to get themselves vaccinated and concern that not everyone may have the same chance. Kerry Sanders is in Florida. In Florida, some so desperate to get vaccinated, they're dressing up like grannies, according to health officials. The first soundbite is from a Hugh Hewitt article we're talking about. The second soundbite is just disinformation. When we're not talking about Cuomo, when we're not talking about Biden lying about the vaccine program, you're just disinforming that DeSantis is a bad guy because he's moving goddamn shots to where the old people are. Because maybe he doesn't look at everything as political. He's not checking the district. He just knows there's a lot of old motherfuckers there. And old motherfuckers need the fucking shot. That's why I don't get the shot. My mom's 78. My dad's 80. Why the fuck don't they have the shot? Oh, because they're in Portland and they're white. Fuck you, white motherfuckers. Just die. Hugh Hewitt. Very, very misleading. Margaret Brennan and Face the Nation earlier this week. Robert Co. Bryan on my radio show said, it's an incredible dangerous virus. We're meeting on it every day, Hugh Hewitt. In the clip you play, he says, right now, no reason for panic. As former National Security Advisor Robert Cohen told Face the Nation, was of low risk to America. Because now we got to change the fucking tenor. We got to make it, oh, Biden's got it. Grandpa Biden's got it. 
but nobody believes Brian Gosling. I got a story for the very end. The Dems know. Motherfucker ain't right. Maju Raju. House Democrats released 591-page COVID relief plan. They plan to push through chamber next week. And I want to do this again because I really fucked the pooch. And this is information. That's why we got the news banner still going. It's about to go away. We're about done with the COVID and then we'll head into hate. I tried a day to go back to the old show where I do bumpers and then move on and keep the show chippy. Because I noticed as I go on the video, I'm kind of out of sync. It used to be a bumper, some stories, bumper, stories. I'm kind of a soup bone. So I hope this one for the people that have been with me forever can go back and go, hey, this is kind of like the podcast again. Not your stupid show where you're fucking around combing your goddamn beard. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Oil Field Rando covers it. I want to go through it again. $300 million for COVID animal surveillance is guided by the World Organization for Animal Health. As god-awful as the WHO is, can't imagine what a derp fest these folks will be. I was today years old, and I'm going to try not to laugh as much as last show, when I learned what a socially disadvantaged farmer was, but we're going to give them 120% of their debt. That's that taken away white people land to give it to black, because we're still in reconstruction and shit. Civil War was just yesterday. But in our new universe, or whatever the fuck we're doing now, Lincoln's a piece of shit. He did the Emancipation Proclamation, but he's still a racist. That was my fucking, what was his name? That a guy from SNL. That is nice. Talking like him. He's in the new song. My wife is freaking out. What is his fucking name? It doesn't fucking matter. A cool billion for outreach programs for the socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. If you want to host some conferences to tell minority farmers how to overcome systemic races, you about to get paid. So remember that. 120 to pay it off, and then some more cash to black ranchers. It's kind of like that STEM shit again. I know there's somebody in the hood right now going, I don't want to learn no motherfucking science. The only science I want to learn is how to sell this motherfucking meth. Because right now I can make money off the meth. Maybe 80 years from now I can make some money off STEM. It's not a racial statement. It's just a reality. People sell fucking drugs because that's what they can do right now. Everybody got to eat. $25 million for AG secretary to spend on modernizing electronic services. It's just a slush fund. $128.5 billion for the teachers. Add that to $60 billion, billion sitting untouched. His quip, them playgrounds better look like Disney World. Really think about that. We have handed, a, we gave them more than we gave GM, for fuck's sake, and they still won't open. $40 billion more for universities that don't need the money. $19.25 million to Gallaudet, $35 to Howard, $91 million for student loans for other people's motherfuckers from another country. We're about to do a, the This Is America up front because I have this incredible soundbite from Tucker. He nails this whole hate and equity and bullshit. And it's right down this pathway. It's right... Uh, we'll get to it. Another $100 million for the Institute of Educational Sciences and $15 million for the Department of Education. Just for some funsies. 
135 million for the National Endowment of Arts, 135 million for the National Endowment of Humanities. Every fucking time this guy says it's always 135 million. What do they use it for? 200 million for the Institutes of Museum Library Services. 10 million for the preservation of Native American languages. I'm actually laughing at this point, he says. I'm going, what the fuck are you going to use that much money for fucking libraries? We're burning books. Oh, there it is. Mm. Got to burn the books. I wonder if it's carbon neutral when you burn your books. I'm just asking for a friend. Welp, there it is. Raising the federal minimum wage is jammed in the middle. And the tipping wage? $150 million for MSHA, OSHA, and all the other feds that will come to your business and break your balls. $276 million for aging and disability services. $1,444 million for supporting older Americans and their families. $15 billion child care and development block grant. Wowza. $4.5 billion to pay the power gas bills for public housings. May not be enough considering how high the admin wants to make electricity nowadays. Are you going to get any of that? Because when he's done, understand, people like me who live in red states and have coal fire plants, get ready to motherfucking charge your phone on a bicycle. I'm going to be watching Gilligan's motherfucking island to figure out how the fuck they did that shit. Because electricity is going to go through the roof. Under Obama, it went up greatly. Another $852 million for the Corporation for National Community Services. How many hundreds of millions did they get in the last bill? A shitload. $73 million just for administrative costs. $9 million for the Inspector General, because bro need money. $1 trillion to tell people that the vaccine isn't going to make them lizard people. $1 trillion. $750 million going abroad. Very cool while seeing zero in relief while unemployed. Another $500 million to upgrade the CDC's surveillance. Because, yeah, we need more people watching us. In his thread, he's now drinking bourbon. $250 million for strike teams that deploy to COVID hospitals. Sounds like they're going to smash through the windows with MP5s and just start blasting people. Oh, wow, this is precious. $100 million for EPA to address health outcome disparities from pollution and the COVID pandemic. Critical race theory is a plague, he says, and he's right. $50 million for environmental justice and tackling the climate crisis. $50 million for the Clear Air Act. $100 million for rural housing assistance. $750 million for Native American housing. There's a lot less of them. But that's because you're white, so you rural motherfuckers, fuck your roof. And I say that because I just drove through rural Kentucky, and I don't know how many houses had fucking tarps on them. They're not going to be able to fix that roof. It wasn't a house house. It was like Appalachia shit because of the snow, and it broke the roof. But once again, he hasn't even talked about it. He don't give a fuck. It wasn't just Texas. It was all over the goddamn southeast. But you're all white motherfuckers that don't vote for Dems. And if we've learned anything from Obama, and this is now his third goddamn term, we don't pays them motherfuckers. You start voting for us, we'll give you some money. $10 billion homeowner association fund is going to pay for a whole lot of shit and run all the way to 2025. We simply cannot, not a capitalist country anymore. Get used to it. 
40 million allocated for administrative causes, another CRT driven 1.5 billion for businesses owned and controlled by socially economically disadvantaged individuals. Normings, I love you, but you got to get your head out your asses. Critical race theory is just a dumb work training. It's taken over everything. So basically what they're going to do, and this makes me put on a tinfoil hat just a little bit, is they destroyed all the small businesses. Now they're going to infuse just black businesses. And the only way you're going to be able to get your mother fucking donut is at a black owned shop. Because somehow that's going to make us all better. And we're not going to have race problems. When it's only the black business getting helped, but the white donut shop doesn't have Biden there with their fucking scrunchies. Yeah, I played another soundbite because they just can't let the scrunchie fucking go. When all you're reporting is a scrunchie, you know the media is in the tank. Another $1 billion for the same shit right after. They're just rubbing it in our faces. $15 billion for airlines. Drum roll. $219 million, 800 $219,800,000,000 for states that drove themselves into the ground with the lockdowns. That's the bailout. We're going to play blue states, not red states. If you're in trouble in red states, just go bankrupt. $570,000,000 for emergency federal employee leave. A government accountability office is getting $77 million to make sure all these slush funds and graphs get ethically dispersed. $1.25 billion for shuttered venues so AMC can open back up. It cracks me up. The Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway Development Corporation makes it into every one of these bills. $1.5 million. Railroad bailout. $820 million to Northeast Corridor. $680 million to National Network. $166 million to Long Distance Service. Chew, chew. $30 billion for FTA grants. $30 friggin' billion, he says. $8 billion for airports. Half of what the airlines got. That shit better be clean as a whistle. $3 billion to bail out the airplane manufacturers. Sweet, sweet union money the Democrats will get right back inside the coffers. $28 billion for Railroad Retirement Board. Stimmy, stimmy, boom, boom. Biden checks of $1,400. The rest is blah, tax credits. Same crap as usual. Just hit hyperspace with critical race theory discrimination. DC is straight trash. I'm going to finish my drink and read something less depressing. I did it again to make sure... That I got it because that is pathetic. Some rando on Twitter that I don't even, I follow because of the one of these stimuluses. He's the motherfucker that puts it out. But you're not going to get it from the New York Times or the Washington Post. Why would we put that out? It would break the narrative that he is unity. Washington Post fact checker only nudges Camilla Harris with two Pinocchios for saying there wasn't. A vaccine program, but it's, you know, that's not disinformation. Corey DeAngelis takes teacher unions apart in a receipt-filled thread for calling themselves safety barriers. AFT, teachers, staff, and unions behind them are not a barrier to school reopening. We are a barrier to staff and students being put in danger from Republican talking points. Now remember, in the next couple stories, we're talking about schools. These motherfuckers got paid. They got big money. They got more money than you and I or any other business that has nothing to do with kids. And they're still not open. Corey DeAngelis, four studies have found that places with stronger teachers union are substantially less likely to reopen schools in person. 
Families are getting a bad deal, and they know it. A national survey found 10 percentage point jump in supporting for school choice in the few months. They're realizing there isn't any good reason to fund institutions when they can fund students directly. If a grocery store doesn't reopen, families can take their business elsewhere. If a school doesn't reopen, families should similarly be able to take their education elsewhere. Another national survey found support for each type of school choice increased since last year. Education savings account went up 5%, tax credit scholarships 9%, private school vouchers 16%, chargers, charter schools 13%. Families should be able to take their children education dollars elsewhere regardless of reopening decision. Education funding is supposed to be meant for educating children, not for protecting a particular institution. We should fund students, not systems. The preponderance of available evidence from the fall school semester has been reassuring. There has been little evidence that schools have contributed meaningfully to increase community transmission. New York City positivity rank 7.45. New York schools uh, half a percent. And I won't read the rest. But they're not going to open. Because Dems follow the union. A.B. Klobuchar. We'll beat this pandemic because science is finally leading the way. What science? The science of... No, that's math. You need the donations, motherfucker. PolitiFact editor-in-chief pushes Cuomo's nursing home school really complicated bullshit. And I played it in the bumper. Team Biden and Team Trump sound a lot alike. Now listen to this for a second. Myopa in the Wall Street Journal, the WHO's willingness to chase the implausible theory that Wuhan outbreak originated from frozen fish makes the organization effort to dispel other theories like lab leak and isolate the true source of the pandemic less credible. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says the upcoming WHO report on China lacks critical data held back by China about the origins of the pandemic. Now remember, when Trump said that, he was a xenophobe motherfucking conspiracy theorist. But Biden's saying it. Well, that's good. Here's a right-leaning teacher. South Jersey Giants. Twitter friends. It appears that cancel culture is knocking on my door. In advance of school newspaper article, I wanted to share my threat, thoughts here in a way that could be unfiltered. Even if you don't know me by name, you know that I am a full-time mathematics professor and also a baseball coach. You also know that I'm a passionate advocate of reason, individualism, and laissez-faire capitalism. This makes me somewhat of an outlier in academia. The reason why I kept this account and used nothing under my name is because it kept me semi-anonymous, and I always made sure to keep politics out of my classroom. Well, it seems someone from outside the university has made the connection and circulated screenshots of tweets among students that he, she claims are racially biased nature. These here were brought to my attention, including one retweet of someone else that includes additional commentary, and he's actually talking about COVID. Of course, those conclusions are silly. My policy stances do not show racial bias, but the, the opposite. Many other recent tweets of mine were deliberately ignored by this person who wanted to establish a false narrative and discredit me. <clears throat> Here's a username, Carl Marx, and I know this person. They've attacked me. In fact, opposition to racism is inherited, and he goes on to talk about what cancel culture is doing to him because he wasn't talking the COVID storyline. 
why would we be surprised? Then in the soundbite, John Carl, Jen, my question was, does President Biden still believe Andrew Cuomo represents the gold standard? He didn't make her answer it. Why? Why would he make her answer that? We're not going to make the same team answer shit. Are you fucking seriously? And then you had the critical race. Harvard study. Reparation for slavery could have reduced COVID-19 transmission and deaths in the U.S. In Louisiana, the study found that slavery reparations could have reduced COVID transmission in the state anywhere between 31 to 68%. They made the calculations with a model would pay 250,000 reparations per person or 800,000 per household. So money would stop COVID. Really. How do they get away with this shit? And then our last... As you know, we're not going to talk about Cuomo. We're not going to talk about how Biden's lying, how they lost 20 million vaccinations. We're not talking about any of that shit. We're going to talk about DeSantis. So A.G. Hamilton 29, that's a great thread. And we'll close this and do This is America before we go into hate. If DeSantis is only vaccinating seniors because they tend to vote Republican per the media's newest conspiracy, does that mean that Cuomo was only endangering their lives in nursing homes to maintain larger voting margins? Answer that question. Anybody? But remember, people like me... Tucker Carlson, who has a real show, not some basement show like me, so we're not on the same level. That's not what I'm saying. Anybody who puts out other than the prescribed narrative or optics is disinformation. And we must stop disinformation because it's like ISIS and shit. That's what they're saying. And they're going after networks. And in our cancel culture, which we're about to go, Even the FCC commissioner said, you motherfuckers are horrible. So, before we go into it, like I said, this segment from Tucker Carlson last night was straight-ass fire. This is how you get real equity. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. So sometimes it's hard to see the outlines because we're right in the middle of it. But America really is in the middle of a profound social upheaval. Nothing is the same as it was a year ago. That's not your imagination. It's really happening. What we're seeing is an actual history-changing revolution. In in place of Robespierre's famous liberty, equality, fraternity, our HR departments have produced their own three-word revolutionary slogan, diversity, equity, inclusion. Now, this is different from what's happened in other countries. Unlike the revolutions in most places, in America, the working class is not the hero of this story. Our working class is the villain. This is not a proletarian revolution. It's a revolution from above. It's aimed straight downward. And you can tell by who's running it. College professors write the radical literature. Politicians put their words into practice. The biggest companies in the world pay for all of it. 
So maybe not surprisingly, for all their revolutionary fervor, the groups pushing this revolution leave their own power untouched. When you hear people talk about dismantling systems of oppression, they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about you. This is a revolution expressly designed to empower the already powerful. And it's been that way since the first day, since this summer, when George Floyd died in Minneapolis. Now, the first and most obvious question we might have asked at the time, and no one ever asked this, but it's clear, why was a 46-year-old man reduced to passing badly counterfeited $20 bills in a convenience store in the middle of the day? George Floyd was unemployed. Why was he unemployed? How many other people like George Floyd are unemployed and why? Now, that would have been an interesting conversation. It might have been a fruitful conversation for all of us, but we didn't have it and we didn't have it by design. Instead, we learned a lot about the racial composition of the Minneapolis Police Department. We were told the police there won't, quote, diverse enough, and that was a national emergency. Months later, BLM mobs destroyed the city of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and once again, we were informed that the main problem was a lack of diversity among Kenosha's low-paid cops. Quote, overall, the local Kenosha newspaper announced with what sounded like genuine alarm, the city's police force is 89% white, while the city's population is about 67% white. Okay, Kenosha, too many white hourly workers makes your city burn. That's the message. And as a result of that message, everything changed. But actually, not everything changed. In fact, many things stayed precisely the same. Patterns of residential segregation, for example, they didn't change. They accelerated. Barack Obama's neighborhoods in Washington, Hawaii, and Martha's Vineyard are probably less, quote, diverse than they were a year ago. And that won't change soon because too many people who have a lot of money live there. But most striking of all, now that we're discussing things that haven't changed at all, have been the universities. The overwhelming majority of the ideas behind this revolution come from college campuses. Everything you hear about white privilege and systemic racism began as a lecture about deconstruction in some classroom in the 1990s. And that's why so many BLM activists talk like sociology professors. But most of the actual changes on college campuses have been superficial. Yes, the coursework is very different. Yale no longer even pretends to teach its students anything. It just indoctrinates them. But here's what hasn't changed at all. And this is the key to everything. What hasn't changed at all is the kind of people who go to Yale in the first place. They're rich kids from rich families who plan on staying rich. Not speculation. Here are the numbers. Before COVID, the median family income in the United States was about 65 grand a year. At Yale, it's three times that. The median family income of a Yale University student is 192,000 a year. That's the median. At the University of Pennsylvania, it's about 196,000 a year. At Brown University in Providence, it's 204,000. These are all Ivy League schools with multi-billion dollar endowments, endowments heavily subsidized by you through your tax dollars. So they could afford to educate poor kids, they just choose not to. At Princeton, 72% of students come from families in the top 20% nationally for household income. Nobody seems to have any plans to change any of this. Diversity is for wage earners, not for the people in charge. No one's trying to diversify prestigious campuses because in real life, let's be honest, the lack of diversity is the real reason that people go there in the first place. No one applies to Yale in order to learn things. That's not the point. The point of going to Yale is to cement your position as a credentialed member of America's ruling class. That's the singular purpose of the experience, the only purpose. More than any other standard, more than any award in American society, an Ivy League degree 
increases the chance that those who hold it in the end will be giving the orders, not taking the orders. That effect is real and it lasts for generations. When you go to Yale, your grandkids probably won't have to work construction. So the question is, why should this arrangement continue? And that's a serious question, especially now. If you're going to dismantle systemic power, and we've decided we are going to, you probably shouldn't start with unionized cops in Kenosha. You probably should start with systems that wield actual power. America really does have a class system. They're absolutely right about that. That system is getting more rigid by the day, and we should probably do something about it pretty soon, or the next revolution might not be as peaceful as this one. So here's an idea. Beginning immediately, the top-ranked 50 colleges and universities in America should be prohibited by force of law, if necessary, from accepting students whose parents or grandparents went to college. No more rich kids. Harvard should be reserved exclusively for students who've never experienced the many advantages of living in a ruling class. If you're for diversity, equity, and inclusion, there is no faster way to achieve it than this. So what would happen to Harvard if we did this? Well, it wouldn't be hard for Harvard or any top school to find new students. Millions of college-age kids are itching for the opportunity, and we know who they are. For example, the Biden administration has just announced plans to give amnesty and citizenship to an estimated 30 million foreign nationals now living in the United States illegally. Now, as of right now, you should know this, there is no plan to elevate any of these new Americans into our middle class. No, the plan is to keep them in serfdom at the bottom of the economic ladder. Someone needs to trim our trees and toss our kale salads. That's the view of Democratic donors, and they get their way always. But why should the rest of us accept their plan designed only to benefit them? It's so obviously unfair. Why shouldn't the children of impoverished illegal aliens go to Duke? Cornell, Stanford, Williams, Amherst, Princeton. Why shouldn't they occupy every single bed on every single one of those campuses? But wait a second, you ask, says the Democratic donor. If the Honduran immigrants get into Colombia, who's going to work at the chicken plants? Oh, good question. We nominate the children of New York Times editors. Now, New York Times editors might not like this arrangement very much. They may incite revolution at work. But at the same time, they are fanatically intent on sending their own kids to Yale, and they will do absolutely anything to get them into Yale. They definitely don't want their kids working at chicken plants. They want them working at McKinsey. But the problem is, in a revolutionary moment like this, you can't always get what you want, especially when you're as committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion as your average New York Times editor claims to be. In order to make omelets in this world, you've got to break some eggs. So here's our advice to the members of the woke professional class at the Times and elsewhere who are about to discover that their own rules might actually apply to themselves. Here's our advice. Stop complaining. When you discover that your own children's life plans have been thwarted due to some new imperative of social justice, don't say a word. Don't whine or moan or file a lawsuit. Don't even acknowledge it's happening. Just accept it. It's not like you can pretend you didn't know the meritocracy was fake. You single-handedly destroyed it yourselves. For years, you thought you had an exemption to the rules that you made. You imagined that challenging power applied only to other people's families. Sorry, the revolution has finally come for you. You pictured your kids graduating from the local friend's school and moving on to Cornell to immerse themselves in gender studies and international relations. Oh, but not anymore. It's a new era. Again, an era that you designed. Now your kids will be taking the bus to a poultry processing facility in rural Iowa 
to begin their new lives serving the critical culinary needs of the people they replace, the ones now going to Cornell. And maybe someday, if they're lucky, your kids can learn to code. But no matter what happens to them over the next several generations, don't fret. And once again, above all, don't complain. Complaining is racist. Diversity is our strength. We're a nation of immigrants. That's the main idea of America, which, as you have often told us, is simply an idea, not a nation. Now, all of this might be hard for you to see right now. It's painful, and we get it. Because it's happening to you, it might even seem unjust. Trust us, it's not unjust. It's the definition of justice. In a brilliant scholarly work, Conservative Parties and the Birth of Democracy, Harvard's Daniel Ziblatt argues that Britain remained a democracy in the early 20th century, while Germany veered into fascism because the main Conservative Party in the UK was able to discipline its extremists. For years before World War I, British Conservatives faced a threat from anti-democratic elements of their party, particularly radicals in Northern Ireland. The Tory party, strong and hierarchical, was eventually able to tamp down these factions and stabilize British democracy. In Germany, by contrast, the main conservative party was weak and disorganized, dependent on outside groups for help. This provided an opening for a sort of early incarnation of Rupert Murdoch, the nationalist Alfred Hugenberg, who used his media empire and business connections to seize control of the party and try to drive it to the right. The infighting sapped the strength of the party, and many of its voters began to flock to far-right alternatives like the Nazi party. Hugenberg allied with Hitler, thinking that this would be a way to decidedly take control of the conservative movement. The rest, of course, is history. I am not making a comparison between extreme Republicans and Nazis. I am making the argument that when parties lose the ability to police their extremists, bad things happen not just to the party, but also to democracy itself. Already, much of today's Republican Party has been permeated by extremism. According to a recent American Enterprise Institute survey, 56% of Republicans believe the traditional American way of life is disappearing so fast that we may have to use force to save it. 39% backed an even stronger statement. If elected leaders will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if it requires taking violent actions. Israel is reporting that they vaccinated half of their population. And I'm gonna guess it's the Jewish half. <laughs>
Limbaugh died Wednesday at the age of 70. He's been remembered as a hero to some. He's remembered as a hate monger on the left. Uh, he was clearly a harbinger of many political changes in this country. Now the Florida governor says he's going to fly the flags at half staff in Florida uh, in the coming days, whenever the, the funeral is, is scheduled. What's your reaction to that decision? Well, I, it's kind of shocking because, I mean, first of all, you know the governor of Florida is just playing for you know conservative attention doing that. But the justification is really questionable. I mean, look, Limbaugh had a huge following and it was very popular among, you know, a, a group of right wing listeners. But he wasn't a heroic figure. I mean, he had a lot of incidents that were extremely questionable and his his views were pretty ugly. And, and they hurt a lot of people. They hurt some people personally. And I think, you know, there were an awful lot of people justifiably saying, why are you celebrating a guy who attacked Barack Obama on race, who sang Barack? you know, Barack the Magic Negro and all kinds of extremely outrageous things that, frankly, the conservatives loved. They loved him for that. And he established the brand. He did. That was a brand. But to make it a heroic thing or something that should be celebrated like, you know, a war hero, you know, I find that pretty quick. But you talk about cancel culture and you talk about the Virginia governor Northrop. And what was your take on that? I thought it was very interesting because we live in a cancel culture society big time today. Absolutely. I didn't, you know, look, I think the quest for justice is right. I understand the, the kind of disappointment with the criminal justice system, but I don't think the result and the answer is for us to go around willy-nilly arbitrarily canceling other people. Ralph Northam is the governor of Virginia. When he was a medical student 20-some-odd years ago, he dressed in blackface. Was it wrong? Of course. Was it ridiculous? Yes. Was it nefarious in some instances? Of course. But my point was, don't cancel him out. Nothing better than a, a white public official who is conscious of the fact that he owes black people his future because two of the biggest names in politics and music just started a podcast on Spotify. Who do you think that is? How about former President Barack Obama and Bruce, as in Springsteen? It's called Renegades, born in the USA. On the surface, Bruce and I don't have a lot in common. He's a white guy from a small town in Jersey. I'm a black guy of mixed race, born in Hawaii. He's a rock and roll icon. I'm not as cool. I was trying to no, I'm not as cool. Did he say that with a straight face, Barack Obama? Spotify says it's like eavesdropping on an intimate conversation. The two talk about race, fatherhood, marriage, and the future of America. They both love this country. I think this is one of the coolest things. I've heard people say, I didn't even know the two of them were friends or knew right, each other, but right. they're very good friends. Yeah. They spent a lot of time together. And not enough star power in that about. podcast. I know. I know. It's all pretty cool. Uh, we're back. Former President Obama's take on teaming up with Bruce Springsteen. They've got a new podcast. It's called Renegades, Born in the USA, and it's available right now on Spotify. The podcast is going to feature... Obama and Springsteen in deep conversation. Obama and Springsteen have actually been friends since they first met on the campaign trail back in 2008. So it should be a really good conversation. It looks like a great conversation. Quite a team. Bruce Springsteen and former President Barack Obama will work together on a new podcast called Renegades Born in the... He is spot the fuck on. And it really is one of the things that I've just been thinking a lot lately because, you know, I watch Tucker Carlson. I got to admit, I don't watch it every night now because, you know, we've been trying to depoliticize every once in a while. But <clears throat> they never hurt their own. If you really wanted equity, that's how you do it. 
It's not me and you. Average folks make under a hundred thousand a year. You know, you, you got a good job or good living or you got a decent home, blah 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 blah. It's the rich motherfuckers that are predominantly white and pass that legacy down upon the generations, not us. I mean, it's a whole concept of white privilege. I was talking the other day, I, I went to my crack appointment, and then I had to go to Walgreens, and had to pick something else up. And in every conversation I have with people, they all say the same thing. My white privilege isn't kicking in right now because I don't have a job, or we're barely scraping by. Or my small business, we went junking yesterday. We're barely holding on. I got holes in the roof. I can't even fix it. And it's a major antique mall. It is the it's the last thing in a town in Kentucky that is producing revenue. People drive from all over the place to come there. Very famous. Took a piss. I was getting rained on in the bathroom because there's a hole in the roof. But he has been off and on with a damn governor. And he really doesn't know. I mean, he, he can't spend that money. So they continue this critical race shit and confusing everything and turning people against each other with shit like this. Jake Loban, blue check. I feel like most of the inhabitants of Jesus land are going to be awfully disappointed to find out what Jesus really looked like according to a recent AI composite. I destroyed this motherfucker. First and foremost, very few people believe Jesus was the white guy blue eyes that you saw in your kindergarten. He was an olive-complected man. But when I schooled this guy and said, you really need to watch out because you're going to get canceled, Arabs aren't people of color. We, we covered it on the show. The new intersectionality religion literally says that they and some Mexicans, some middle or central American people, you're just white. It's all the level of darkness. Now they don't address the albino blacks or the light-skinned blacks who they fucking hate because they don't want that to get out like we don't know already. But Jesus still wouldn't be a person of color. He's just a white guy like us by your new classifications. But it's always religion and Jesus land. And that goes that doesn't get censored on Twitter. You could say that. If you said Jews land, you would get ter- you get terminated like Gina Carano, even though the left is so anti-Semitic and black people are beating up Hasidic Jews and we all know it, but nobody wants to report on it. That would get you in trouble. Or if I said fucking Islam land. Islamist land. Oh, I'd get fucking in trouble for that shit. But you could say Jesus land. The point is, I would say none of that. Because I still believe in a world where you don't label everybody. Did I have I said on the show in long form that a majority, not a majority, but a large percentage of Islam is radical? Yeah. Been overseas. Talk to them. Yeah, they don't like you. They all got a chip on their shoulder. They were the beginning of civilization, and they're still shitting in huts, and you got a toilet. You got free gas, and free electricity, and a free phone, and free food. And the Biden economy, we just did a stimulus. 
FCC commissioner blasts Democrats for pressuring providers to drop right-wing agencies. Brandon Carr, one of the four current FCC commissioners, slammed House Democrats a statement on Monday afternoon trying to crack down on, on right-leaning television channels' response to events that happened after the November elections, saying that Democrats were trying to stifle political dissent. <clears throat> Democrat Representative A.G. Eshoo and Jerry McNary wrote a letter to cable news providers, and I have it. I, I'm not going to go long for them today because we're long. The cable providers and stream platforms pressured them to issue of combating the spread of dangerous disinformation. <clears throat> Companies that received the letter, including Comcast, AT&T, Spectrum Dish, Verizon, Cox, Atlas, Roku, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Hulu. The letter was sent in advance of House Energy and Commerce Committee hearing this Wednesday, dubbed Flanning the Flames, Disinformation and Extremism in the Meeting. To our knowledge, the cable satellite and over top companies disseminate these media outlets to American viewers have done nothing in response to misinformation aired by these outlets, the letter said. For the New York Times, the report specifically targeted right-leaning news networks ranging from Fox to OWN. Are you planning to continue carry Fox News, own a Newsmax on your platform, work down beyond the renewal date? The letter says. If so, why? What steps did you take prior to or on the following November 3rd, 2020 elections and the January 6th attack to monitor, respond, or reduce the spread? A disinformation, including encouragement and incite violence by channels your company disseminates to millions of Americans. Carr slammed the Democrats' chilling attack on free speech in a statement. <clears throat> <clears throat> Today, two senior Democrats on the House Energy and Commerce Committee selectively target a handful of news outlets for their coverage of political events. But writing letters to the cable providers and other regulated entities that carry these news media outlets, the Democrats are sending a message that it's, it is as clear as it is troubling. These regulated entities will pay a price if the targeted newsrooms do not conform to Democratic preferred political narratives. This is a chilling transgression of free speech rights and every media outlet in the country enjoys. Debate on matters of public interest should be robust, uninhibited, and wide open. More speech is better than less. Yet the concerted effort by Democrats to drive political dissent from the public square represents a marked departure from the First Amendment norms, a newsroom decision about what stories to cover and how to frame them, should be beyond the reach of government officials and not targeted by them. To the House Democrats that use their official letterhead to launch this inquiry, I would say this. You're a man to know the moral principles that guide a private entity's decision about what news to carry cannot be reconciled with the bedrock principles of free speech and journalistic freedom. The statement concluded, I call on my FCC colleagues to join me in publicly denouncing this attempt to stifle political speech and independent news judgment. <clears throat> I listened to Ben Shapiro the other day. And one of the things that really struck me as not surprising is when they do surveys on this, marketing surveys, and I get these all the time from YouGov. YouGov doesn't send me political anymore because I'm right-leaning, so they don't want to stack the deck on their things. I get like 1 in 10 political subjects, even though I ask just for that. They'll send me a lot of marketing shit about crap I don't even know about, but, you know, they're, they're not going to send me the political stuff because, once again, they're not doing anything else. If they come out with too righty of a thing, they're going to get canceled, so they're scared. And in there, they had a group of people about companies' political beliefs. 
If you knew they're liberal, would you shop there, large majority? If they weren't political, but then they came out liberally, liberally, would you change your shopping habits? No change. If they came out conservative, big change. And because by default, the left has bullied with their fascist conduct like this, because this is truly fascism. This is why I started with Naomi, and I'm ending here. This is what fascist is. fascism is. We're worried about dugouts. We're worried about everything because we don't want other stories. We're not going to have other stories. We're not going to have other opinions. They want to rig elections, fortify, sorry, fortify rig so you never lose an election again. Get rid of the filibusters, two new states, take away your guns. And then silence you. That's what they want because they know if they can get rid of Fox, Daily Wire, censor the internet, demonetize life site news, a pro-life group who's done nothing wrong. Well, people never know. They'll never see it. You'll just eat New York Times and WAPO op-eds that are always liberal because now they don't carry Tom Cotton's. That's fascism. And then they get upset when it hits them. David French, I hope this is a mistake, Amazon. If not, then it's absurd and unacceptable. Ryan T. Anderson, I hope you already bought your copy because Amazon just removed my book when Harry became Sally, responding to the transgender movement from their cyber shelves. My other four books are still available for now. And the whole world said, dude, you created this. This is what you wanted. This is the world never Trumpers and people that hated Trump wanted. You went along with it for four years. You enjoyed it. They just want to feed us Obama and Springsteen. You saw it. That's why I put it there. They want us to see that. They don't want us to say all black people believe that white people are animals. I mean, that guy still has a job. He said the same thing that black girl said in the beginning of my bumper. It's the same fucking thing. And now Disney Plus flags the Muppet Show for offensive content. 18 episodes have been recently pre-programmed label, although Disney does not individually specify why each episode received the trigger warning. The New York Post points out that these episodes, some characters depict Native Americans, Middle Eastern, and Asian People. They dressed up. <clears throat> this is what you want. You voted for this. They said they were going to do all this. Biden was all in on this shit. You voted for a person that refused to tell you his positions until you elected him. Just like the ACA, just like the fucking stimulus, just like everything else. They don't believe they own you. We still have the hill. Clubhouse rising popularity raises misinformation concerns. Clubhouse, an emergency social media platform, booked 
born during the coronavirus-driven lockdowns have given users a chance to connect through intimate audio conversations with virtual strangers, even while isolated at home. But as the platform continues to grow, the same model that has allowed users to connect while physically apart and is raising concerns about how the app will handle the spread of misinformation. Unlike traditional social media platforms, where a user's footprint is more permanent, Clubhouse chat room conversations are not recorded by the app, making it essentially impossible to discern the spread of false information. Any zipper. They could be telling each other anything. I'm literally shaking. I can't bear the thought of people talking to each other without a tech billionaire there to decide what's true and what's not. Dog guy. What the Sam Hill? First, the New York Times, now the Hill. I was raised to believe the media believed in 1A. Oh, my God. Free speech without hall monitors scolds the Hill. It's not about the Capitol. The Capitol wasn't born on disinformation. The Capitol was built on a large percentage of Americans believed there was something fishy about the last election. Conservative, liberal, and independent. And then they watched a year of you condoning, flanning, saying it was okay, COVID rules didn't apply, for people burning down cities over misinformation, like real misinformation. For four years, it was okay to say an election was stolen. But when Trump and his supporters did it, oh my God, the pearl clutching. People did the same thing you let the other people do. Why wouldn't they? Twitter censors focus on the family-affiliated account for denoting biological fact. Global Christian ministry focused on the family remains locked out of its Twitter account after the organization tweeted a link to an article by writer Zach Mettler on its affiliated platform, The Daily Citizen. The Federalist reported February 26th, The Daily Citizen's account tweeting focus on the family content reportedly stated, Dr. Levin is a transgender woman that is a man who believes he is a woman. Twitter responded, as one would expect, brazen censorship. We don't teach biology anymore. Why would we? Doesn't work. Amazon quietly removes book criticizing transgender ideology. It's a different one. All of them are removing. But I could play you the. I could go back over the article of 103 Nazi symbols, kill Trump shit, pictures of that Kathy Griffin holding fucking Trump's head. That those are shirts. Those still get sold. Ian Milheiser must be tweeting with his head up his backside. Here's another attack on Wyoming. If you split Alaska in half, it would be the first and second largest state in the U.S., and Wyoming would get bumped out of the top ten. Take that, lower 48. Wyoming, an empty piece of land that explicitly gets the same number of senators as California. Gabriel Hoffman whispers in 17th Amendment. Wyoming, a state you are denigrating as an empty piece of land, led the way for women getting the right to vote. It's home to the nation's first national park, boasts great people, and is beautiful. Take the loss, man. Another reply. Is that you? Can't learn or you won't learn. Hmm. A nice blue state such as Vermont that is approximately the same number of citizens as Wyoming, but which you ignore in these comparisons. I'm sure it has nothing to do that Vermont having two Dem senators and two 
Republican senators for Wyoming. They don't want representation. They always go after Wyoming, Montana, Idaho. Yeah, what the hell just happened? And then we just got the other dumb shit. I, I just I got this article. I was like, I got to do a couple of these each fucking show. Cherokee Nation asked Jeep to drop name of top selling vehicle. Says it does not honor us. The Cherokee has been out for fucking ever. I owned a '98. But yeah, breaking Coca-Cola is forcing employees to complete online training, telling them to try to be less white. Let's let's look at these. These are so fucking good. Confronting racism, understanding what it means to be white, challenging what it means to be racist. To be less white is to be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive, be less ignorant, be more humble, listen, believe, break with apathy, break with white solidarity. In the U.S. and other Western nations, white people are socialized to feel that they are inherently superior because they're white. Oh, really? Research shows that by the age three to four, children understand that it's better to be white. Try to be less white. That's a story. That's a fucking slide. You're selling soda. That's all you're selling. Replies to this shit. Let me get down to people. Uh, what they said. Uh, for people trying, to, the lady that linked it, uh, Carol, Dr. Carolyn Eight is her handle. For people asking to verify this, this course is publicly available on LinkedIn. You can see for yourself the Coca-Cola icon is in the top right-hand corner of some of the images because they're using LinkedIn content for the internal platform. One thing you all should keep in mind is that Coke probably isn't the only company using this training with their employees. It's on LinkedIn Learning. Any company can pay for it. What other companies are making their employees be less white? We shouldn't be boycotting Coke. We should be boycotting... Uh, what is this? This is a story. Let me see the story. Sorry. We should be boycotting Robin D'Angelo. Let's listen to this. I'm going to be honest. I didn't expect to go viral on the internet today. I was unprepared. I was not prepared for this. Thank God I wore makeup in my video. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. That tweet has like 5 million views. This is crazy. But um, I'm really enjoying it. Kevin Sorbo has retweeted me. Titanium McGrath has retweeted me. Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, uh, Don Jr. Everyone. Everyone. There are not too many times in my life when I'm actually speechless. Um, but this might be one. <laughs> this might be one of those times. So I was just on Fox News. And I was so tired, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to stay up so late to be on this. I'm going to save this for next show, because I didn't see this. So I'm assuming this lady said something. Okay, so you made it into my Locals community. Now, Locals is awesome. I I have to tell you, it's been about six, seven months or so since I started my Locals. I'm sorry I didn't have that. I didn't see it. I linked to the lady, but I didn't grab that article. We'll start the next hate session with it. Gay campground in Michigan draws accusation of transphobia for banning, wait for it, men. A gay camp. 
And then last but not least, before we do a PragerU, because remember, PragerU is getting crushed right now. YouTube's trying to take them off, demonetize them, because they keep talking truth. A world of ubiquitous racism. New attack on Monopoly. Let's break into this. And the piece in the Atlantic, of course it was the Atlantic, titled The Prices on Your Monopoly Board Hold a Dark Secret and subhead the property values of the popular game reflect a legacy of racism and inequity. Author Mary Pylon writes that in the 1930 New Jersey realtor named Jesse Rayford affixed prices to the properties on his board to reflect the actual real estate hierarchy at the time. And in Atlantic City, as it is so much of the rest of the United States, that hierarchy reflects a bitter legacy of racism and residential segregation. Pylon writes, Cyril and Ruth Harvey, friends of Railford, who played a key role in popularizing the game, that they lived on expensive Pennsylvania Avenue, but had previously lived on Vermont Ventnor Avenue, one of the yellow properties that represented some of Atlantic City's wealthier neighborhoods, with their high walls and fences and racial covenants that excluded black citizens. The Harveys employed a black name maid named Claire Watson. She lived on Baltic Avenue in a low-income, black neighborhoods not far from Mediterranean Avenue on the Monopoly board. Those are priced cheap as $60. After quoting Temple University professor... Brian Simon stating Atlantic City, like all mass resorts, manufactured, sold, and easily consumed in widely shared fantasy. Around the time that Monopoly was taken hold in Atlantic City, ballots there were marked W for white and C for color, Simpson said. It would take countless demonstrations and protests and long struggles, and da-da-da-da-da, we've changed, but Monopoly's still fucking racist. You know, when I was younger and struggling... I lived in a totally black neighborhood. When I made more money and I was struggling, I lived in a totally black neighborhood. It wasn't because it was just for black people. It was monetary. It goes back to why I started with Tucker. This isn't about black and white. There is no black fucking goddamn privilege for somebody in Appalachia or somebody in Kentucky or for other people just to go get money. There's no money tree. And regardless of Don Lemon thinks we're not doing our white privilege right, I don't make millions of dollars calling half the country racist pieces of shit like Don Lemon does. I'm in a basement on my motherfucking computer, unemployed. Here's PragerU. What's happening in our schools? Colleges have become leftist indoctrination centers. It's not a new problem. It's been going on for decades, first behind the scenes and now out front. That's how radical change happens. It creeps up on us. And when we finally figure out what's going on, it's too late. What's been happening on college campuses is now happening in elementary schools and high schools. I know. I'm a mom of two school-aged kids. I've seen it with my own eyes. More and more parents are seeing it too. Thanks to the lockdowns and Zoom, we're getting a window into our children's classes. It's not a pretty picture. Kids really young kids, are being taught stuff so radical, so devoid of what real education is, it should alarm us all. Here are a few examples. Recently, Chicago Public Schools adopted an American history curriculum based on the 1619 Project published and promoted by the New York Times. The 1619 Project asserts that America's founding was not marked by the Declaration of Independence in 1776, 
but the arrival of the first African slaves in Jamestown in 1619. Historians from across the political spectrum have denounced this as a giant lie. The New York Times has walked back many of the project's original claims. Still, this malicious slander of America is now being taught in schools as truth. And what is that truth? That America is, was, and always has been a fundamentally racist country and that white Americans today bear responsibility for all current and historic racism. This bleeds perfectly into another educational debacle, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now this might sound innocent, but don't be fooled. It's a dangerous euphemism for something called critical race theory. Critical race theory says that racism is woven into the very fabric of American society. What does this look like in a school setting? Middle and high school students in Wellesley, Massachusetts are being taught to be on the lookout for unconscious racial bias in their classmates. We need your help, an email to students reads. Your school leaders will be working with you this year on how to be proactive about preventing bias incidents and how to report them should they occur. This warped vision of America doesn't stop at race. In Colorado, first graders are being taught that just because someone looks like a boy doesn't mean they are. Only they can know who they truly are. Gender is something they choose for themselves based on how masculine or feminine they feel. Or maybe they're not fully a boy or a girl, but something in between, whatever that may be. To repeat, that's what children are taught in first grade. Imagine what they're taught in second or third grade. And of course, the world faces imminent disaster from global warming. The American Federation of Teachers has fully endorsed the most radical aspects of the Green New Deal, which is already featured in California school curriculums. In some, many of our schools are teaching children that our past is terrible and that they have no future. That if they are white, they are racist whether they know it or not. If they're black, they're victims, whether they experience it or not. That they should constantly question their sexual identity. With all this being drummed into their heads, no wonder today's kids have more psychological problems than any previous generation. Maybe you think I'm cherry-picking examples to exaggerate my point. Or maybe you're one of the lucky ones who sends your kids to a school that has yet to be infected by this radical agenda. Maybe. But if I were you, I wouldn't take it on faith. Find out for yourself. When I did, I was shocked to learn that all of this is happening in my school district right now. So find out what's being taught in your kid's school. Take a good hard look at curricula. Ask administrators if they endorse the 1619 project. Are they pushing a diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda? If so, demand to see what materials the school is using. At a minimum, get to know your kids' teachers and principals. Join the PTA, attend local school board meetings, Look for allies among reasonable, like-minded parents. You don't have to agree with each other on everything. You just have to agree that the brainwashing of our children stops here, stops now. Americans know what our children should be learning, that they must take responsibility for their conduct, that race is the least important aspect of another person, that hard work and rational thought are things we all value, that there is nothing wrong with the bodies they were born into, and that America was founded not to promote racism, 
but to guarantee sacred liberties and opportunities to its citizens. And it wouldn't hurt if they learned reading and writing and math, too. I'm Jill Simonian, founder of thefabmom.com for Prager University. Parents are getting sick of this shit. Wisconsin parents on new social studies curriculum. Our children cannot escape leftist messaging. After the Embrick School District in Brooklyn, Wisconsin announced that it was reviewing the district's social studies curriculum, activists in the area circulated a poll asking the input to give the curriculum review committee. The group called itself, What's Next? A screenshot of the survey obtained by Daily Wire, which has since been taken down, asked parents to choose which topics they believe the social study curriculum should prioritize. Answers were limited to Black Wall Street, Tulsa race riots, the truth about Christopher Columbus, pre-colonial education, Turtle Island, more about indigenous history before the arrival of European settlers, segregation in Milwaukee's past and present, Japanese internment camp, the truth about Black Panthers, Countal Pro... Con- Cointel Pro, Fred Hampton, race relations beyond the 60s post-civil rights era, waves of feminism and its failure, white feminism, how the 19th Amendment did not protect black women, and Stonewall, LGBTQ, EIEIO, liberation, AIDS epidemic. West Virginia bill seeks to ban critical race theory. Then to the stupid. We were so bored this weekend that we literally watched NASCAR. And up comes Roush Racing. And I try to get the video for it, but I can't get it to download anywhere. They're literally claiming to be carbon neutral. And a race car with carbon offsets and carbon neutral white paint and uniforms. And we both stared at the TV and laughed our ass off. Now, for the record, we didn't finish the fucking race. I can never finish a race. I used to watch when Dale Earnhardt was racing because I had a roommate in Korea in the 90, 1990 that made me watch. And it was really interesting. Um, I, I did get into it. But once he died, I, I just didn't get into it anymore. But, yeah, well, we're doing carbon neutral racing. So, I want to end on a positive. Uh, Let me see. I got some comedy in here. Um, Progressive superheroes. And then next time we'll do two of them. I got one from uh, Black Rifle. It's really funny. And a personal favorite of my own. I found this the other day. I think I played it on the podcast of me, which seems conceited. But I was doing a cooking show. And I wanted to play the video because I wish I could look like this guy before but here is progressive super heroes and i can't remember who the fuck did this video missions in boys we're about to pay a visit to a guy who won't let his wife leave the house you mess with women you mess with us strap in boys because the perp's name's mo and we are heading to saudi arabia yeah yeah i feel like that's more of like a cultural thing yeah do we really want to be imposing western values it's not our place there's a lot of calls let's yeah, just you know, yeah. pop oh, that one back in the yeah. queue oh here you know what one just came in here we go there's a guy he's killing endangered animals slam dunk i bet it's a dentist no yeah, look at him poaching elephant tusks and he is located in zimbabwe huh. is that 
that what that's him. That's definitely him. Oh, it's got to be a cultural component that we're not really understanding yeah, here. That's yeah, like a big it? yikes for me. It is a cultural thing for them. I mean, would we rather him starve? Okay, I got one right here. It says there's a shopkeeper telling customers to speak the language. Oh, no. Speak the language of my fist. It says right here that the shopkeeper is located in China. And it is just not a good travel day. I personally have got a bit of like an adductor thing, so if we want to keep it local maybe today, get yeah, home by dinner. I mean, if you're in China, like learn the language. This is a respect They're thing. native. Thank you, I mean, okay. thank you. I was thinking that. Homophobic religious organization. Okay, okay. I want to puke out my inside. That one is a nether traveler, so oh, we're gonna yeah. put that back in yeah, the queue. Keep it local. Customs is a lot. A government spying and detaining alleged terrorists without due process. Oh, that's no good. That is no good. So good. And this is the guy that they're detaining. And oh, oh. The guy in the MAGA hat? Uh, yeah, maybe that's like the wrong photo. I feel like I'd want some more information about what he did because yeah, our government's got to take precautions to protect story. its... You know, let's move on. Oh, I just got one coming. Oh. Hello, here we go. It's a guy named Benjamin. That's Ooh, fine. I like it. That's right. fine. Won't let his daughter date outside of their race. Benjamin dead. Fine. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the photo. Check him out. Oh. Huh. Uh, yeah. Oh. White guy named Doug just punched his wife. Jackpot! <laughs> okay, that's some good fucking shit. So it was RyanLongComedy.com. Support people like that. We, we need more comedy, folks. We just need more comedy. I'm even watching that uh, new Tim Allen show where him and the guy from Tool Time are sending boxes of shit to people and they have to build it. It's pretty fucking, pretty, uh, well, I, don't, I won't say anything. I only watched five minutes, but I really wasn't too in it. So this is a wrap-up of another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com for video audio or to contact the show by sending a comment on the bottom. You can tell me I'm a fucking piece of shit if you want to. Have fun with it. It's why it's there. If you want to be a purist, go to SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, uh, iTunes, you can still get the podcast, it'll be there. Our next podcast will be Sunday, and I was going to do a teaser, so I will. We're going to do a 19th anniversary of Oper- Operation Anaconda for a little bit of the show, and it'll look a little something like this. Towards the north, towards Pressler's locations. We took fire from a ridgeline and a compound, and the decision was pretty easy. Go down to the compound, take the compound. So immediately we, we sent a squad down there to assault that and secure it. So now in this room, we recovered approximately uh, 10 AK-47s out of here, about 40 magazines. Yeah, that's my fat ass walking up the hill. Wasn't that fat back then. But that was like at, I think, 7,000 feet, 8,000 feet. I can't remember. I think it was eight, and then we went to nine something. But yeah, got a little documentary about four minutes. Could do some TV spots. Um, not going to go through the whole thing. I did one a long time ago where I interviewed people, read from the book, all that crap. Not going to do it. Just want to show some TV spots of the family. And then next year, which will be the 20th anniversary, uh, my intent is to try to bring somebody on. 
that was one of my corporals right there talking about the guns, and I still have his contact info. And maybe we can Zoom call or do something, because it'd be neat to revisit it. 20 years. At the time, it was the biggest missions in Vietnam, and freaking, we were soldiers, LZ X-Ray, and it lasted like a couple weeks, and then we were on to Iraq. So... As always, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Thank you for listening and tune in Sunday for a political and a little look back at Operation Anaconda 2002, March 2nd, Afghanistan OAF 1. We will end with our usual ending, but also a moment of zen. Take care.